mindfulness mode. And then I started asking myself, like, would I follow myself as a leader? And I didn't like the answers I was giving myself. Hey, Mindful Tribe, still celebrating the five-year anniversary of Mindfulness Mode. And I have my friend Adam Shibley here from the Million Pound Mission. You can check out his Million Pound Mission podcast, which is excellent. Well, here's Adam. Hey, podcast fans, it's your buddy, Adam, the PhD, the previously heavy dude. I'm the host of the Million Pound Mission podcast, and I wanted to give my buddy Bruce Langford a huge shout out for reaching five years of podcasting success with Mindfulness Mode. Bruce, I'm so proud of you, brother. Keep doing what you're doing. We all need it. Thank you so much, and congratulations. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Mindful Tribe, have you ever wanted to just really, really make sure that maybe your son, your daughter, your nephew, some of those young people that are just kind of getting going in life can really get things together in the best possible way? Well, today I have a gentleman with me who has put together an incredible book called The Standout Experience, and he's an author, speaker, coach, mentor, and business advisor, and he has a passion for helping students and young professionals, and as well as that, new executives and any kind of business leaders who are trying to make an impact. And he's the president and CEO of Stand Out X LLC, and he and his team work with experts around the world to inspire and develop the next generation of high performers, leaders, and just people who will make a difference in the world of business and in life. So he has been an executive with Disney and Madison Square Gardens in New York. And uh, he lives in Central Florida with his wife and three children. I'm really excited for you to meet John. I've got John Walsh with me today. Hey, John, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am in mindfulness mode. I am ready, I am present, and in the moment. And that is just great. And well, you know, reading your book, I can tell that you live a life really based around mindfulness in a lot of ways. But what does mindfulness mean to you, John? Mindfulness means, um, I I love acronyms, and I think you're going to hear that a lot in our discussion today. And I think about mindfulness um, as age, A-G-E. So for me, mindfulness is um, awareness, being grounded and then being engaged in the in the present moment and and that to me is really mindfulness and and i like that because with age comes mindfulness and and the the older we get the more we realize how important mindfulness is and so mindfulness is also about being in the present and in my book i spent a lot of time talking about i'm a firm believer in um people's past and their present and their future. And the present is the connection between the past and where you're going to go in the future. So it's so critical important. Well, it really is. Yes, for sure. Well, uh, you uh, talk in your book about using a GPS for your life. And there's another example of your acronyms because uh, I thought this was a clever acronym. Tell us about that, John. Yeah, it's a, it's really about a goals planning and a system. You know, I've used different uh, terms for GPS, but for me, it really is about w- what I've seen a lot, especially from young professionals and students, and you know, quite frankly, adults, um, is they're not really sure where they're going. You know, and 
it's interesting is, is, you know, I'm sure you and your family and others who have listened, they go on vacation and, you know, what do you do? You, you plan where you're going to go. You look at all the things that you can do. You know, you, you, you pack for all the, all the things that you possibly need. You look up the best flights and then you, you know, you go on your trip, but then when it comes to life, like, what do we do? Right. And so I think we just, we kind of just meander through life. And so, you know, GPS for me is really about having that, you know, where you're going to go, that destination. And then GPS is really about how do you get there? And, uh, you know, mindfulness helps a lot with this, but I think, you know, people are looking for a sense of purpose in that one place, that one direction, that one path. And there isn't, I mean, we all know that we use GPS in our car and our phones every day. And, if you take a wrong turn, GPS sort of gets you back on track and it sort of knows where you're going and it helps you with the best route. So to me, it's a great, um, you know, symbolism for your life. And I, I, I try to bring GPS to other people's lives to help them figure it out and then help them as they travel that path to their destination. Yeah, I think that is so important. And one of the things you share in, in your book is the secret to a long, happy, and meaningful life. And who doesn't want to know that secret? But it's a Japanese thing, and I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but it's I-K-I-G-A-I. Tell us about that, John. Yeah, uh, Ikigai. So it's called Ikigai, and it's basically the Japanese meaning for, it's your reason for being. And whenever you're trying to figure out, you know, what am I doing? What, what's my purpose? That kind of thing, this, this sort of model, and there's, there's four quadrants to the model, the intersection of those four things, if you can find that you found your reason for being and the, the four quadrants are, you know, what am I good at? What do I love to do? What does the world need that I can provide? And then more importantly, are they willing to pay for it? And so if you've got a talent and a passion and you're really good at doing something and you can bring, you can solve someone else's problems, you can bring a solution to the world, a new product, a service, an experience, something, and then obviously get paid for it because you have to sustain, you know, a living, that intersection where, where you're, you're filling your passions and your dreams, you're solving other people's problems and helping them and you're getting paid for it. That is, that is true. Um, Ikigai. Well, I think one of the things that will really, uh, really connect with your young followers is that you say reframe your life as a game mm. and then understand what kind of player you are. And I think that's really clever and it makes it makes it sound kind of fun. So how do we actually do that, John? I think mindfulness helps. Um, you know, I, I, I we, we spend so much time, it's my belief, we spend so much time in the stress of life, right? And, and everything is super important. And if I don't get that job and I don't get that project or, or you know, that thing I want doesn't happen and we take things so seriously. And at the end of the day, life is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be happy. And if you kind of look at, I grew up playing sports my whole life. And if you sort of look at life as a game, it really reframes how you think about life and how you approach it. And, and it relieves the pressure a little bit. Um, it, it's it's fun. It's competitive. All the things that we're wired to do as a human, as, as a human species, comes from playing games. And so if we can approach our day and approach our life from a gaming perspective, uh, I think that really helps. And, you know, to play a game, you have to know what game you're playing. You have to know what the rules are. You have to know how to win and, you, you know, the strategies. And, you know, a lot of great athletes go into their games being very mindful. They, they visualize 
plays and things before they happen. They they are present in the moment. And so I think it's super important if we just got people to think about life as a game, don't take it so seriously, we'd have a lot more fun. I think we do take life too seriously sometimes. One of the things I like about your book is that you use lots of really clear illustrations and you also include quite a few quotes. And one of those quotes that just jumped right out at me is this, success is not the key to happiness. Mm. Happiness is the key to success. And that's by Albert Schweitzer. So tell us, when were some times in your life when it felt like you just were treading water and, and you weren't really getting anywhere? Do you have any stories to tell about mm. that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I'll actually share where that came from. Um, I had made, I was an executive with the Walt Disney Company, and I've always believed in giving back and helping people get to a certain level, helping them with success and that kind of thing. And I was giving a speech once to, uh, there may have been a hundred Disney cast members as we called them. And I was talking about my keys to success, how I became, you know, an executive, why am I so successful? And I remember going through the responses afterwards, right? And a lot of them were like, oh, this was great. But there was one that jumped out at me. And the one said, this was really great information, but it doesn't seem like he's having a lot of fun. And, 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 and he and then the other part of it goes on to say he he left out the point about being happy and that took me that took that took me back a little bit to say my goodness you're you know cuz you have to you know it it's very easy to kind of take that feedback and say well you don't know what you're talking about or whatever else but i sat down thought about it and i was like gosh that's that's right and so to me happiness became i always talk about success and happiness throughout the book i'm talking about it's not just about success it's also happiness and which one leads to the other. And I devoted an entire chapter to happiness as a result of that. I think it's super important. Yeah, yeah, it really is important. There's no doubt about that. And uh, one of the things you you talk about in your book is your favorite mentor, Darren Hardy, who mm. is a, a terrific, terrific guy with so much wisdom and knowledge. And, and you talk about his phenomenon called the compound effect. How has this worked for you in your life? The compound. So Darren Hardy, when I was an executive at Disney, I had I had really traveled pretty quickly through the through the ranks and I became an executive. But then I hit a plateau and I remember um, my leader dropped off a letter. It was two days before Christmas. He dropped off a letter and said, and it was, I think because he was leaving to go with his family or whatever else. He didn't get a chance to like talk me through it. But I took it as sort of like a performance letter, like, oh, my goodness, I'm not doing very well. But one of the things it said is that you, 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 you know, we think you should um, spend time with a leadership coach. We think you should read this book and that kind of thing. So instead of reading the book that they suggested, which was good to great, I think I decided, I don't know how I came across it, but I came across the compound effect. So it was really the first time I sort of dove into personal development and I read the compound effect. That was the first book I ever read on in that. And I was hooked and it was, I, I started reading book after book after book. And just, I, I just felt that there's so much wisdom there. And I, when people give me, ask me for a book recommendation, it's one of the first ones that I put out there. Um, a lot of the, I don't, although I, I sort of explicitly talk about it, but sort of the thread underneath my book is about the compound effect, about all the little things you have to do before you get to that success and happiness point. So it's had a, it's had a huge impact on my life. It really has. 
Well, Mindful Tribe, you know, I'm sure you can tell that John has incredible wisdom and he's shared so much wisdom in his book, The Standout Experience. And you can check out his website as well, standoutmovement.com. So don't forget to have a look at his uh, website later, standoutmovement.com. Now, I want to ask you this. You talk about establishing a daily routine and you've got a great graphic included with that. Do it now, plan it for later, delegate it, or the fourth one, drop it. So when did you get a daily routine established that really worked for you? And and what's that look like now? Uh, Yeah, that that graphic actually came from the the, uh, seven habits of highly effective people. It's about like, what do you focus on and what do you not? I sort of modified it a little bit for my own. But um, I've had a daily routine probably it was almost a little bit after the, I read the compound effect. Um, I started following other thought leaders and it just, that was one of the things that you hear consistently. And I would always just wake up. I would check my emails, whatever, you know, I'd kind of go through the day and that would be it. And then I just started focusing on a daily routine and I had a daily routine. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people know they should build a daily routine, but they get so structured in it or they feel it's too structured, they'll lose their freedom and it's actually the opposite. And so my daily routine has evolved over time, but um, typically now my day starts about 4 a.m. is when I I generally get up and I have, you know, basically from four to seven, which is my time. And that is my time to plan my day, to reflect on yesterday. It's my time to exercise. It's my time to, um, you know, absorb books and whatever else I'm going to do to to think about the business and what I'm doing. Um, prepare, help prepare the household because it's a little crazy around here trying to, you know, homeschool kids and run a business at the same time. But that's sort of my time. And then, you know, before. When I was working in corporate America, um, you know, typically I was in the office by eight o'clock. I even had a daily routine where I would block the first hour of my day and no one could get on my calendar because that was sort of my special time. I would block walk time and like I was very purposeful about my time. Um, and then even at night, you know, that's very purposeful about, okay, this is my family time. And then after that, this is the time that I have to read again, you know, journal and reflect on things and prepare for, for the next day, um, spend time with my wife and that kind of thing. So I've, my, my routine is pretty set, but I do allow flexibility because things do happen. And, you know, sometimes you don't feel as great. And I think the, you know, there's a lot of benefits in having a daily routine. I think so many people could, you know, happiness and success comes from that. That's how you can build mindfulness into your day is to schedule it. Because if you schedule it, it'll get done. Um, and so I think it's super important. And and I just allow that flexibility. So I would highly encourage a daily routine for people. Yeah, and so would I. I just really, really believe in that. It's made a big difference for me. Now, tell us a story about working as an executive at Madison Square Garden. That must have been pretty exciting. It was fun. I was working for Disney for um, 18 years or so, and I was up in New York City helping Disney launch Disney Plus, the the streaming video service that they have now, which is doing phenomenal. And a recruiter called me about Madison, you know, about this role at Madison Square Garden. It was a senior vice president role um, for finance and strategy, helping with their venue operations, helping with building a new venue out in Las Vegas, and. I, I was very purposeful about what I do with my career, where I go. And there's only a few companies I would have left another co- company like Disney to go to. 
but Madison Square Garden was one of those companies. And so uh, I went over there and I just, I, I was only there for a couple of years. I just recently left to start my own business. Um, but it was just, what a great learning experience. The, you know, what they do with Madison Square Garden, Radio City Music Hall, the Forum in Los Angeles, the Chicago Theater, like people don't really understand how incredible the company is. And it was interesting because that company is right in the middle of a of an inflection point where um, they started bringing in a lot of talent from the outside because they wanted to take what was sort of the old school Madison Square Garden, Radio City Music Hall, and how do you transform the company to support this world-class, highly innovative, highly immersive sphere uh, in Las Vegas because you can't do them both. And so I was part of that transformation and it was just a great experience. It really was. Yeah, it must have been. And it must have been been tough to leave Disney behind. Was that difficult? It was hard. It, it took a lot of um, mindful thought. It took a lot yeah. of uh, conversations with my wife and, you know, thinking about, I mentioned earlier about past, present and future. And I spent time thinking about where I was, where I am now, where I'm going and how does it fit. And, you know, ultimately I, I, I decided to take a risk and uh, risk of leaving a company, leaving my pension behind because I was part of the group that still had a pension while I was at Disney. And um, I, I wanted to experience more in life. And I thought this was a great way to do it. And by the way, I ended up doing the same thing again just recently when I was like, I, I, this book is coming out. I've been working on it for a couple of years. Uh, you know, I wanted to start my company to help other people, you know, be successful and happy. And I went through that same approach of, you know, gosh, do I walk away from this great corporate career? Do I have to step into completely unknowns? You know, I, you've got an amazing podcast and it's on my roadmap to start podcasts. So I'd love to pick your brain one day on podcasting. Sure. Um, so, but it was the same thing as like, why would I leave Madison Square Garden and why would I make that career choice and change, you know, later in my career? Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I've gone through it a couple of times uh, when I've made that sort of leap, if you will. Well, your book, The Standout Experience is really excellent. What kind of mindfulness did it require for you to, to write that book and make it actually happen all the way through to completion? The big thing was I, I've I've always struggled with. Um, um, I mean, I, I, my my mindfulness is I don't I don't really meditate. I, I've tried it before, and it just for me, I, I've struggled with it a little bit. I, and I think I do my version of meditation, which is I, I'm an athlete, and so I bike for I don't know up to two hours in the morning, or I'll go for a long run. I've run marathons and that kind of thing. So for me, I I. I if I'm running, it's interesting because if I'm running, I'm out there listening to a podcast. I listen to yours. I listen to others. I listen to podcasts. I take in books. But if I'm biking, there's something about biking for me where it gives me two hours of just – I'm just pedaling. I got to pay attention to cars, obviously. But I'm just like thinking. I've got no no tunes, no sound, no anything, and I can just think. And so for me – Biking really helped me as I'm working through the book, just think about what am I writing? Why am I writing it? And uh, we talked before before the show started, I had gotten about halfway into the book and I had an aha moment where I thought the book was good, but I really struggled with, well, how is how does it kind of all fit together and how will people remember it? And so I kind of came up with this playbook, which so happens to be the acronym that represents my company standout x and so i went back to the beginning and i kind of started rewriting it again from that perspective um and so i think just i think 
to answer your question, I know it's a long way to answer it, but um, I, I think it's just a lot of time in, in thought by myself. It was a lot of um, preparation because I had been deep into personal development, leadership development, growing myself for you know 10 years and taking all that, really asking myself, and this I think is a key to mindfulness, is not only what's happening with me and what do I need, but what do other people need? And spending a lot of time thinking about what are the needs out there and what what would help others really help me get through that book, I think. Well, I want to ask you a question about bullying because I've worked mm. in that field for a long time. Have you ever been a bully or have you ever been bullied, mm. you, you know, as a kid or even in your adult life? Have you got a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? I love what you do, by the way. The work that you do in, in this is so important. And, you know, whenever I listen to your podcast, you know, it makes me ask the question myself, you know, and. Um, I don't I don't think I was ever bullied. I was, um, you know, part of my story is I was homeless when I was in high school um, and my journey from being homeless in high school to an executive is an interesting one. And, you know, when I was really young, I remember my dad and I getting into, um, you know, fights and shoving matches. And all. I wouldn't necessarily call that bullying. You know, I know you've had um, other guests who've kind of who've kind of talked about that and the things that they've gone through. You know, Tiffany Toombs was was on uh, on your, your podcast and she talked about some of the things that she went through. But I remember in high school, I remember that there was a kid that used to bully me verbally and sort of physically sometime. And I remember at one, I just one day I just had enough. And I, I remember in the hallway, I grabbed him and I pushed him against the wall. And I said, if you ever come near me again, I will, I'll beat you up. And he never touched me again. But I don't know if that's bullying. Right. So I, I don't think I've experienced it to the extent that, you know, you've seen it and, and some of your listeners have gone through it. So for me, here's what I would say about bullying. And it's super impactful to me. I think about bullying. The, I think the worst bully in the world is yourself. And, and the way that we talk to ourselves is if, if that was anybody else in the world, it, it would be considered bullying. Because some of the things that we say to ourselves are just, it's, I don't know, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about and being super mindful about how do I bully myself in terms of my thoughts and what I tell myself and that kind of thing. So for me, fortunately, I haven't experienced bullying, you know, like like people traditionally think about it. But I think it's a daily struggle for for me from that perspective in terms of myself. Well, the effect that you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. And that's a Jim, uh, Carrey, Jim Carrey quote that you include, included yeah. in your book. When did you start to realize this in your own life, that you could have such a powerful effect on others and how important that was? I, I had an executive coach. I, I would go to the Center for Creative Leadership. I don't know if, if anybody has, has seen their work or been there, but they do some amazing um, classes and programs and all. And I, was, I had an executive coach there and I was working for Disney at the time. And I remember I was this ambitious, you know, I made it to an executive from where I was as a homeless kid, a very hard charging and everything else. And I remember going there because I needed to sort of soften, if you will, my leadership approach. And I remember my executive coach asking me and talking about, um, you know, the Disney provides these world-class experiences, right? And he was asking me a bunch of questions about the experience that we provide and that kind of thing. And he was taking me down a path that I wasn't expecting. And he hit me with a right hook and he said, okay, so what is the experience of you? And it stopped me dead in my tracks because I couldn't, 
I was like, oh my gosh. And then I started asking myself, like, would I follow myself as a leader? And I didn't like the answers I was giving myself. And so that really got me starting to think about the experience that I have that I provide for other people and the impact. And, you know, just as I started sharing some stories and helping other people through their careers and their life and the feedback you get, um, and I know you do this, you, you see it through your listeners all the time and the, the feedback that you get. There's something about helping other people. You know, there just there just really is. In, in my book, I talk about um, I, I make the argument that uh, we all have the same purpose in life. Everyone's looking for purpose, but, you know, in this whole gaming theory and simplifying things, I think we all have the same purpose, and it's really three things. The first is to be the best that you can be with what talents you've been given. The second is to lead to help other people be their best. And the third is to do something that leaves the world a little bit better than you found it, and that's impact. And I think that is so critical. Um, And I think if we do those things, that's what we'll be remembered for. We'll be remembered for the impact that we have on other people not what we do, not what we have, but it's the impact we have on other people. And so I've lived my life. It's one of my core values. One of my three core values is the impact I have on others. Yeah. And speaking that, speaking of that impact that you have on other people, I really enjoyed chapter 12, shine your light. You talk Mm. about shining your light and you say that even the smallest pebble can have a huge ripple effect on the vast water around it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really so true. Tell us a story about somebody that you have worked with and that you've had an effect on and it's made a difference in their life. Um, I hopefully my kids would say that I've had an effect on their lives. Um, but I, I think uh, there's been, there's been a couple, but I just, I know that there's, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, I was going to the University of Florida and I was talking to students about finding their purpose and taking risks and everything we've talked about, you know, on the show earlier. And I remember a student coming up to me. She was a senior and she was really struggling with, you know, her friends and her family and everyone were telling her to go into investment banking. She actually had a job up in New York City as an investment banker. And you could just see that anguish on her face right and and after the stories i was sharing so i pulled her aside and we actually we went outside and we took a walk and because i think there's just a lot of value in walking and talking right to people got her out of the room we just started walking and talking i started asking her what do you really want to do and she told me that her real passion was to help um uh abused women Um, And so I started asking her well why are you going to go do investment banking in new york tell me how that gets you to there Long story short, after the conversation, we've had multiple conversations after that, she called me one day and she said that she was moving to Africa and she was she had found a place and she was starting a school for abused women in Africa. And it was just like I'm getting chills just like thinking about it again. And that right there is like the one conversation changed, you know, changed life. I'll give you another one. It's actually in the book real quick. Um, my brother um, was a. Uh, sort of floundering a little bit, if you will, in the in the hotel space. He was working for some great hotels, but he just didn't really want to do it. I remember we were sitting around on Thanksgiving Day watching, you know, Cowboys football game. We'd just eaten turkey and we were drinking some wine and he was talking about his life and all. And I just I just started asking him, I said, what if? I just started asking, what if? And I said, what if you went back to school? What if this? What if that? I, again, another long story short, the kid ended up, you know, leaving his job the next day as he was working the Friday after Thanksgiving, he enrolled in a community college, 
He ended up getting into his dream school, University of Central Florida, and he's now working for the athletic department at UCF. And we always point back to that conversation. So you just never know. Like we think about impact as that big, grand gesture, that big thing. And I think just even sometimes the littlest comment, the littlest conversation can have a massive impact on, on others. Yeah, I agree with you, John. As we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The Great. first one is this. Uh, who is one person in your life who has been a powerful influence? I know we spoke of Darren Hardy. Maybe there's someone else. Um, I don't say there's one person. I like to have a team around me. And so I would say really it's, it's kind of two. I'll answer it in two ways. One is the Darren Hardy, Robin Sharma, Brendan Bouchard. So I take a lot of information from, and then I would say, you know, my family, uh, my stepfather, my dad, who've always been, and my wife, you know, just always sharing great information, keeping me in check. And I think having a lot of powerful voices around you is helpful. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Um, I'm still practicing mindfulness and working on it. I, I, mindfulness for me, I've, I still struggle with it in the moment. You know, if I get upset or whatever else, I, I really have to think about it. I think mindfulness for me has really helped me as I'm away and I'm thinking about things. Uh, and I think it's just I'm working on it. And it's, a, it's something you have to always work on, I think. So let's talk about breathing. Mm. Uh, tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. I use breathing. I think about breathing more when I'm training, if I'm running or if I'm uh, if I'm um, biking and all. But the other is my wife and I, we, we are super, pat. we have these, the aura rings and we pay attention to all, you know, it gives you all of like your breathing and your heart rate and your restfulness and everything else. And so we're sort of data junkies and we kind of, we've kind of, pay attention to our breathing at night and how we're doing, but I also do it as I train. It's super important. Uh, your book, The Standout Experience is awesome. Are there any other books that you would recommend that could help people with mindfulness? Um, yeah, I think uh, there's there's two, and I'm not sure if they're directly mindfulness, but I've always loved you know Dan Goldman's Emotional Intelligence, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. I think that's a great one. And then one of my mentors, John Spence, told me to read the book. The uh, was it the Four Agreements? Um, yes. You know, and so I think that one, while it's not directly about mindfulness in, in terms of like meditation and all, I think it's super important in terms of the four agreements that you have with yourself. And so those are two that really stand out for me. John, are there any apps that you use for mindfulness or maybe some of the people you coach use them? Yeah, I, uh, I I was actually flipping through my apps, trying to go through and like I like to rearrange and everything else. And and I I have Headspace on uh, on. Um, I also have Lumosity, and then I have Calm, and I, I sort of go between the three of those. Um, but those are the ones that if I you know when I use them, they're the ones I use. And I just again I I need to practice mindfulness and and do a little bit more. And I just the, the apps I know are helpful. I know that when I use them, they're helpful. I know one of your goals is to reach 10 million students mm. in 10 years. That's a pretty impressive goal. And at the end of the book, you end with an Appendix C, the Standout X Creed. Can mm -hmm. you tell us a little about that? Yeah, the Creed is little. I don't want, I want people to, the, to be a standout and you have to, you have to be different and you have to take in this great knowledge that people share and you have to do something with it. And so at the very end, the standout creed really is, is if you kind of 
pay attention, the, the creed itself are the key lessons from each chapter. So there's 12 of them. But the creed is done in a way that kind of says it, it is sort of the standout creed is if you want to be a standout, it's more of the I am, right? I am this. I will do this. And I ask people to sign it and date it at the end because I want them to read the book and then and then actually think about being a standout and do those things and believe that they are those those things on their way to standing out. So I thought it was really important to include it and have people sign it and date it. And because I think you hold yourself a little bit more accountable when you, uh, you know, when you kind of sign a pledge, if you will, that you're going to be a standout. So John, I know that I was impressed with your book, but what other feedback have you received back about your book? Uh, a lot of great feedback. I think, I, I mean, the, the most common ones are why, what took you so long? Uh, I've heard that one. Um, I've been asked if, if I'm writing another one, I've got another book that I'm working uh, on right now. Um, I, I've, I've heard that how helpful it is. I mean, the book at the end of the day really doesn't tell you this is exactly what you do because I don't think anybody can really do that because we don't really know who you are. don't really know right. the situations you're in. But what the book does and what I hope everyone else, you know, kind of when you're you're in a coaching mode or whatever is I'll give you the tool and sort of the framework and then let you build on it for what you want to do. And so the book is really a playbook for personal development, leadership, how to be your best and how do you have an impact in life? That's what standing out is all about. But it's in the it's in a framework that um, hopefully people say. I, I got it now. Like, that's what I need to do. Now, let me go build around that playbook for what works for me. Well, John, I really appreciate you being on the show. And Mindful Tribe, once again, standoutnowmovement.com is the website. And uh, just keep doing all these amazing things that you're doing to positively influence the world. Thank you so much for being on the show, John. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And it's good to see you. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye now. Bye-bye. Wow, I enjoyed that interview with John Walsh. And here's my friend Alana Pratt with a couple of words of congrats. Bruce, congratulations. Alana Pratt here, intimacy expert and founder of the dating app Heartmates. Oh my goodness, five years, 2.2 million downloads. Thank you for the privilege and honor of being episode number 271 that's still getting downloads uh you hold such extraordinary space for the guest you know to really bring out the best in your guests i really respect what it takes to show up every time 582 episodes the the consistency the beautiful blend of humility and tenacity and the grounded energy that you have I honor you for giving to the world. I mean, it's brave because what are people going to think? And, you know, you're really putting yourself out there. So your bravery, your humility, your tenacity, all these wonderful qualities as you bring calmness and mindfulness to the world. I celebrate you and thank you again for being on my podcast too, Intimate Conversations. I've had such a blessing getting to know you. Way to go, great man. Much love. Take what you've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.